Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. I am joined today by two of the great ladies of Christ Covenant, Tara, formerly known as Tara Shikadance Thompson, who is with child. When is that baby due, Tara? February 25th. And uh, it's going to be a boy. <laughs> no, we don't know that. You're just convinced. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm excited for you guys. February 25th, that, that'll be here before you know it. I know, but it's too close to leap day. Oh, leap year? Yeah. That would be awesome. Would it? Oh, to have a leap year birthday, that would be like the coolest thing ever. I don't know. Wait, is this year a leap year? No, next year is a leap year. That's right, in the 20th? Yeah. Yeah. So your baby could be born on February 29th. That's right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm also joined by my own wonderful wife, Paige. Paige, yes. also a February baby. I am, February the 1st. February the 1st. What a great day. It's a good month. What a great, what a great month, great day. Uh, well, we'll see. Maybe your baby will be born February 1st, just like Paige. That's right. That could happen. Oof, that would be a little too early. You know, I mean, it's it, possible. three weeks, I mean, that's okay. Yeah. So... All right. Well, we uh, are continuing. We're, we're, we've, I guess, we've finished our eleven out of twelve uh, sermon on the book of Genesis. Uh, we're in chapter three, or Act three, rather. We're calling it the the, the story of Jacob. Um, yesterday, of course, we looked at uh, Genesis thirty-seven, and and it's the story of Jacob, but it's really the story of Joseph that we really started getting into yesterday, and how he was. Uh, abandoned, betrayed, really, by his brothers, uh, sold into slavery. Um, really very fascinating story, Genesis 37. So, first of all, Paige, impressions of the sermon. Yeah, one of the things that really stood out to me is um, when you talked about how you correlated, basically, um, Joseph being in the pit and how Jesus was in the pit. And I don't know why, but all of my life, as I've heard the day of you know, Jesus going to the cross, I never really thought about him being thrown into a pit the night before. And when we went to Israel this past spring or whenever that was, um, we went to that pit that Jesus was in. And, and it really just hit me so hard because as I'm sitting down in that pit, it just, I just couldn't imagine what weight was on Jesus when he was in that pit. And so even when you brought it up yesterday, it just brought tears to my eyes as, and, and just made me think about sitting in that pit and how much like, what a devastating hard moment for Jesus and how he does empathize with us when we are in the pit, yeah, just, and, and just as Joseph was in the pit. Yeah. Just to clarify for you guys, if you can't remember from yesterday, we talk, I was talking about there's an actual place in Israel that you can still go to that is a dungeon tomb underneath Caiaphas's house. Uh, it is an incredibly powerful place. It is in all likelihood where Jesus was kept the night before his crucifixion, after he was arrested, of course, in the garden, 
Uh, he was taken to Caiaphas' house, kept as a prisoner in likely this place overnight. Caiaphas' house wasn't a prison, so didn't, they didn't have like multiple cells. It was just this one kind of area where they would have kept uh, kind of religious prisoners like, uh, like Jesus was. Um, super powerful place. And yes, you, you kind of think about, man, how much, at least when you're reading the book of Genesis, how much does Jesus's life parallel to Joseph's life? Mm-hmm. Um, abandoned, betrayed by the people that he was closest to. Wasn't there not even... There were 12 st- of them, you yeah. know, right? There was not uh, even like stairs in the pit. Jesus was thrown down into the pit, just yeah. like Joseph And was. likely Joseph was thrown, yeah. yeah. It, it, obviously, it talks about it. He couldn't have gotten out. Um you know, obviously, uh, he, um, through his suffering, the many are blessed. Um, he was his father's beloved. I mean, there's so many just interesting parallels between the narrative of Joseph mm-hmm. and the narrative of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Tara, what are your impressions? I am always mesmerized about how, through God's providence, what man does with an evil intention the lord can still use it for good and for his will um and that is called compatibilism still using um what man means for evil god uses it for good and even in genesis 50 joseph says to his brothers what you meant for evil god meant for good and um i don't know i just was reminded of that incredible ability that God has through his providence to make happen. It's just mm-hmm. insane. There's a little preview for next week, too. We're talking yeah. about, we're we'll in Genesis 50, talking about the providential na- nature of God, which this story, of course, like when thinking about providence, have you read God's Greater Glory by Bruce Ware? I have not. Uh, when thinking about providence, I always think of this particular story because you just see God's providence mm-hmm. on display. And obviously the Bible speaks to it. The reason it's so nice is you don't have to guess at it. You know, Joseph in this biblical narrative passage basically says what you're saying. You meant this for evil. You had evil intentions. It was a sin to do what you did, yet God all the while was working this for good. And, and I, I mentioned that yesterday a little bit, um, kind of at the end of the sermon, I talked about this passage way back in Genesis 15, where God tells Abraham, your offspring were going to be sojourners in a foreign land. How did they get to Egypt? Well, I mean, if you just, if you follow all the dominoes back. It's when the brothers mm-hmm. went from Shechem down to Dothan because there was a trade route in Dothan. And then when Joseph Crazy. came along, they, um, of course, saw the Midianite traders or the Ishmaelite traders going down. They sold Joseph to the slave, to these, as a slave to these traders. They go down to Egypt. They sell Joseph to Potiphar. This thing happens with Potiphar's wife. Joseph is thrown in prison. In prison, he meets these servants yeah. of Pharaoh. He interprets their dream. They just so happen to remember the dream. Pharaoh has a dream himself. I mean, all of these little things that had to happen in, in, in this crazy, wacky way, Joseph, this uh, Jewish man from Canaan, ends up saving Egypt. Um, and in all of that, of course, you just yeah. see God's plan. That he said way back in Genesis 15 to Abraham. Yeah. Your family is going to be a sojourner in this strange land. And you hear these all as separate stories when you're a kid in Sunday school. And then you finally get them tied together in a timeline in something like the series that we're doing with Genesis. It's cool to see it all put together. Yeah, and I just, I love God because I love how he's (laughs) just, um, it's one of those things where we pretty pretty much have kind of simple brains where we go, okay, if I want to do something, if I want to be a leader of something, I want to do A, B plus C. Right, yeah. And when you really surrender your life to Jesus, it's just, 
it usually is so much more beautiful and so much more intricate than you can ever imagine his plan for your life. And it's in a way that you can never imagine. It usually doesn't follow the narrative. That's though, right. And about. that's what, like, if you were to sit down with Joseph and say, okay, look, like, where, you know, did you even have any clue that God had his hand upon you on this? I mean, there's probably so many times when he's like, I would have never in a million years dreamed this up. Yeah. What I love about Joseph, though, is that he always does well, right? He, he doesn't lose heart. Uh, he did have a vision and a dream that he was going to be great, mm -hmm. but then he's a slave in Potiphar's house. And what does he do? He's the best. He's the best slave at Potiphar's house. In fact, the Bible, when it's telling that story, says that Potiphar had no concern. Uh, Potiphar literally had zero concern. He had, he had this employee that was so great, or this slave that was so great, that he didn't have to worry about anything in his whole household. So Joseph did right by this man. And then even when he had the opportunity to sin, which was justifiable, you know, he's doing a great job. He's had this great injustice happen to him. Potiphar's wife comes and says, please, you know, sleep with me. Um, she inevitably would have kept it a secret. It could have been this private little affair. It was t could have been totally justified. He doesn't. He honors God. And then even in the prison, he honors God. He becomes the chief prisoner. I mean, always Joseph is doing the right thing. And, and to, to what you're saying, I think that likely he, he never saw this leading to this great position you know he just believed that this honored the lord well and you can that's tell that's a great, great attitude basically what you're saying is is you you can tell that the posture of his heart through all of this is basically kind of the you know the end result is what you thought you were doing for evil god was doing for good and and so like you can tell somewhat joseph's posture of his heart um, towards, you know, just continuing to yeah. honor the Lord through all those things, even when it was difficult. But. He was able to suffer well. He was able to yes. go through suffering, and it didn't lead to bitterness. It didn't lead mm -hmm. to anger. It didn't lead to sin. It led, actually, to obedience and humility, the, the kinds of things that God wants to do through us, through our suffering, and obviously God uses that for this amazing purpose. Yeah. Do you, have, you, you ladies have any questions uh, from the sermon yesterday? So one of the things, one of my questions is, is, you know, this story that you told, I mean, basically, um, you know, Jacob, you know, it's just, it's just a messy story. Jacob and all his wives. All of his wives, all of the hatred yeah. between the brothers, the kill, you know, trying to kill the brother, the, you know, all of that stuff. It's just like, you know, this is not a good moral story. If I was reading the Bible to like teach my kids how to be good moral people, I would not want to teach them a lot of what the Bible, you know, talks about. And so I think a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, when they look at the Bible, they're looking at how can we teach a good moral yeah. lesson to our kids or to ourselves. And the reality is, is it's not. It always points to Jesus, and that's what we have to look for. It is interesting how we moralize the Bible over and over and over again. I mean, even the point I was trying to make yesterday, you know, commentators disagree, was Joseph arrogant? Well, you know, maybe he was. Again, like I said, it was certainly unwise to tell his brothers about these dreams. But nowhere does the Bible actually condemn Joseph for that. I think we've tried to kind of read that into the Bible to say, Hey, look, if you're arrogant, a bad thing may happen to you. We've tried to like create a little moral lesson there. 
Um, but to your point, Paige, yeah, the Bible is not a G-rated book. I mean, that's been said many times. The Bible is not this super moral book. Um, I mean, Jacob is, you know, marrying, he marries the two sisters. Of course, he was tricked into that. But then, of course, they're offering him his handmaid. And nowhere does Jacob ever say, you know what, this is not really God's design for marriage. You know, he just says, oh, well, if you really want me to be with your maiden, uh, okay. You know, he just takes advantage of the situation. These brothers, obviously, they're not moral guys. They're killing, they're wanting to kill their brother. And so, yes, the, the Bible is not a book of morality. It is a book of redemption. It's mm-hmm. a book of sin and redemption. And God is always redeeming the sinful human heart. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're supposed to see in Scripture. And that's what we do see in Scripture over and over and over and over again. The brothers were, what at the end of this story, what should we save? God saved his people. God saved the promised line. God saved Judah, who ultimately would be uh, the son of the promise. Mm -hmm. God saved Judah. He kept the promise of redemption alive Mm -hmm. through Joseph, even though there was this crazy pathway to get there, and even though it included Judah's own sin. It's interesting how Judah is obviously the very one that God is wanting to preserve from famine because without Joseph, everybody would have died. There would have been a huge death in the land. The the famine struck all throughout Egypt, all throughout the land of Canaan. There would have been huge death in the land, but they they didn't die. They were saved because, of course, Joseph was in the right place at the right time. But it's interesting that Judah is the one that had the idea to sell Joseph off into slavery in Egypt. Of course, a decision that he made out of spite, the decision that he made out of greed, a decision that he made... Uh, without any good intention, but that ultimately God used to fulfill mm-hmm. his purposes. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, we're so quick to condemn and judge the Israelites who were just hating God for bringing them into the desert. We're, we're so quick to think that like the stories of the Old Testament should be encouraging and should be moral, but actually that's just like us. Like We, are, we have just as sinful hearts, and um, we need to be reminded that humans in the Old Testament could not obey God perfectly. Right, yeah, yeah, and, which which reminds us that we should have no faith in our own righteousness, but yeah. only in the righteousness and forgiveness and saving work of God. Yeah. Terry, you have a question? Yeah, my question is, uh, you kind of already brought up in the sermon, but you, you brought up the story of Jacob and Leah and Rachel and how he ended up marrying the wrong girl after serving Laban for seven years. How is it possible yeah. that well, he married the wrong girl? Okay, great question. And uh, j- if there are children listening to the sermon talk back, uh, I am about to acknowledge the existence of sex. Uh, and so please do with that what you will. But um, um, so, you know, you may want to pause this, uh, but the... Um, Okay, so how did this happen? You know, how, how do you intend to marry one woman and realize you've married, you know, the wrong woman? Uh, well, we can deduce that in this time there, there basically wasn't really a ceremony. It was a communal kind of ceremony. It was an agreement of uh, marriage um, that there was a party. There was a celebration uh, that Jacob went to the party, went to the celebration, um, I'm sure alcohol was involved, right? And he went to bed with Leah. Now, the interesting thing here is that the the typical Hebrew kind of 
sex position at this time was not face to face as you know as would be the normal kind of you know sex position in 21st century america but it it was you know front to back rather that both would be facing the same way and so you know a drunk man getting in bed with this woman all he is seeing is you know the back side of her um you know you can you can see how okay i guess that then that could have happened. Then he wakes up the next morning, he's sobered up a little bit, and he realizes, oh my goodness, what have I done? Mm. Um, so again, a fascinating uh, story in Scripture. And just again, another one of these, going back to your original question, Tara, another one of these things where, okay, Laban's sin, mm. or Laban tricking Jacob, Jacob then marrying these two women, who then give him two other women, he has 12 children. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, of course, these 12 children become the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, these 12 children uh, ultimately, uh, obviously, rapidly expand the Hebrew people. The, the, you, know, you know, if you're just having one or two kids, your population is not going to grow that quickly. Mm-hmm. But if you have 12 kids, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, your population growth kind of explodes. And so this kind of sets a, a pattern in place where they go into Egypt um, obviously, it's those 12, their wives, their families. They, they, they say it's about 20, or it's rather 70 people going into Egypt after the famine, uh, living in the land of Goshen. And then, of course, archaeologists and scholars believe, even biblical scholars believe, that it was about 2 million people um, coming out of Egypt. We have some numbers, actually, Amazing. about the size of the tribes that wouldn't have included children and women. It's about 2 million people coming out. So in those 400 years, this, this family is rapidly multiplying. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously now you have a two million person country, nation, that's able to go to war with the other people in the land of Canaan and establish a promised land. So mm-hmm. again, this crazy weird thing where Laban tricks Jacob into marrying two women actually ended up being, being used by God to expand his people, to expand the people of the promise. So fascinating, fascinating question. But it doesn't mean that you should marry, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want, you know. Right, it's not morality. People will look at it and say, wait, okay, so God allowed him to marry so many women. So does that mean we can marry so many women? Well, and again, you go back to God's intended design. Yeah. In the very beginning. A man should be joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Mm -hmm. Right? So there is this union of man and woman that God had designed. And actually, I would say the story, you know, uh, Robert Alter uh, has this book on Old Testament narrative. And, you know, people say, like, the, the Old Testament, you know, uh, how are we supposed to read all this? It's full of, um, you know, all this immorality. You know, should we see this as a moral book? We'll, we'll notice what's ha- what always happens. So in this culture, for example, where men have two women, two wives, um, it never works out for them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost as if the Bible is saying, like, don't do this, Right. <laughs> they'll end up fighting, they'll end up bickering, they'll end up being a huge strife in your family um, if you do this. So even though it's happening among these patriarchs that we hold up, it's never celebrated in the Bible. It's always seen as kind of a negative thing that Mm -hmm. ends up causing great division and strife in these families. And obviously it's the case here. They tried to murder their brother. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just fascinating how even in these stories that seem kind of immoral, God actually is displaying what is true and beautiful and good, uh, or at least he's juxtaposing that with 
this which obviously isn't true and beautiful and needed mm -hmm. So, well, ladies, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Sermon Talk Back. So, for Tara Thompson and Monica Page Rayner Dees. <laughs> and all the way. Four names. Uh, I'm Jason like Dees. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>